We will be looking at the last two chapters of Amos's recorded prophecy, Amos chapters eight and nine. This is what Holy Scripture says. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? Uh, I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They're thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and every one mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist, baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. But they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them, I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it will bite him. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. 
The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell in it mourn and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens, founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel and among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say, disaster shall never, shall not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make their gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. And so, our Lord, we pray now that you would give us ears to hear your word. Let there be no famine of the word here. Feed us, give us drink, nourish us from your word, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is funny how one sound can sound very different to two different people. The five o'clock whistle, for one guy, oh, the day is over. For somebody else, ah, oh, overtime. The bark of a dog, for somebody, here comes my little friend to greet me. For somebody else, I'm about to get bit. The school bell. For someone, ah, oh, finally, I get to go home. For somebody else, oh no, I'm only halfway done this test. One sound can mean very different things to different people. 
And the Bible makes it clear that when our Lord Jesus Christ returns in order to judge all mankind, there will be a sound. Old Testament new always talks about this one sound. Do you know what it is? The trumpet of the Lord. The sound of a loud trumpet that will signal that the moment of judgment has come. The trumpet sounds, and for some people, that's the last thing they'll hear before they're cast into an eternal hell. The trumpet sounds, and for some people, this is what we've been waiting for. Amos began his prophecy back in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, with another loud sound to signal the day of judgment. It was the loud roar of the lion. And if the lion is your friend, like say you lived in fictional Narnia, <laughs> and the sound of Aslan's roaring, well, if you're a Narnian, that's, that's music to your ears. But if the lion's not your friend, then it's nothing short of dread when the lion roars. So here we come to the end of Amos and the last roar of the lion. Will the last roar be good news to your ears or bad? With this roar, Amos makes a few things clear. The first one is this, that the day of judgment is set. The thing that Amos has been warning about from the start of his ministry is now being viewed as a completed thing. This is the fourth out of five visions that Amos includes in his book. And through this vision, God makes clear that the time of the judgment is settled. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. This is what the Lord God showed me. Yahweh showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. This is what we would describe as a very short vision. (laughs) Summer fruit refers to the ripe fruit. It's the stuff that has to be harvested now. And God is saying that this is a picture of Israel, only the harvesting here is not a good thing. It's not a good image, it's a bad one. Kids, have you ever wondered how an apple feels? I mean, there's an apple, it's hanging on a tree, Just like yesterday, it was hanging on the tree, just being an apple, it's being an apple, it's being an apple, and you walk past and you pluck the apple, and then you bite into the apple, and then you eat the apple, and the apple is gone. How does the apple feel? I don't think he's happy. And he doesn't really feel anything because he's an apple. But this is kind of the way God is looking at Israel. There's nothing funny about it, but he's looking at them as if they were an apple ready to be plucked. And so he continues, the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they're thrown everywhere. Silence. Definitely not funny. We've seen this phrase before, I will never again pass by them. That was back in chapter 7 and verse 8 with the plumb line vision, the string with the weight on the end, comparing God's people to his revealed truth, to his word, and they're out of whack. It was after testing them with the plumb line that God said, I will never again pass by them. He's he's using that phrase again. It's a phrase that communicates finality. He's saying to Israel, there's no longer any room for repentance. No longer any hope for revival. It's done. You're done. 
And then the Lord stacks up the phrases of those who are wandering past the ruins of the destroyed temple up in the north of Israel. This is not the temple in Jerusalem, it's Israel's temple. So many dead bodies, they're thrown everywhere. Silence, silence here is not a command, it's a description of the surroundings. It's just silent, filled with corpses. Friend, you can live your life like you're never going to die, but the last time we checked, 10 out of 10 people die. And if you die having not repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus, you will be swept away with all those who have never repented and put their faith in Jesus to an eternal judgment. You and I know that as a place called hell. Right now, Ukraine is suffering horribly. And not to make light of that suffering, but at least in Ukraine, the sun will rise tomorrow. Probably some help is going to come on the next day. Many people are going to be able to escape into surrounding countries. But when it comes to hell, the sun never rises, the help never comes, and there is never a way to escape. No wonder God spends so much of his revealed truth warning you before he finally brings it. But bring it he most certainly will. Why? Well, the reason is sure. Uh, Look at verse 4. There's really just a repeat of the reasons that that Amos has been making throughout his prophecy. He tells Israel, you're cruel to the weak. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, bring the poor of the land to an end. The people in this northern kingdom of Israel, they'd proven that they were nothing like their God. The God who had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. Psalm 85, David writes, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps a way. Every step of God is paved with righteousness. All he does is right. All he does is good. All he does is true. He can't do anything that is sinful. And so, because of that, it affects how our God deals with the weakest in society. That's why the psalmist writes, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who's too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? That's why Jesus came into the world, friend, because you were ultimately needy. You were ultimately poor, spiritually poor. We couldn't save ourselves from our biggest problem, our sins, but God is the kind of God who delivers the poor. He delivers the needy. And and Amos is looking at the people in Israel and he says to them, you're nothing like the God who saved you. You trample the needy. You end the lives of the poor. And worse, you hide it behind a faux religiosity. You can't wait for Mondays. I know Israel worshiped on Saturdays, so you can't wait for Sundays. But it makes more sense for us if you say you can't wait for Monday, because that's kind of what he's talking about here. You know, the best evidence in a court of law is firsthand evidence, right? You got the videotape or eyewitness accounts, multiple confirming accounts. And so the Lord quotes the words of the people of Israel in this sort of case here. And he says, I know what you're saying when you go to temple to quote unquote worship me every week. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? Can't, can't, you know, business can't be open on a new moon. When will the Sabbath be over 
that we may offer, we can't work on the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, and not just that we can go back to our jobs, but we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Now, when's church going to be over so I can get back to making my money and cheating the poor? You sitting here today just dying for this meeting to be over? Maybe that's why you're not here Sunday nights. Just want to get your little thing in, make everybody around you think you're okay, get on with your life. Well, just wait till we get to chapter 9, friend. He says to Israel, you can't wait for Monday. You crush the needy. Amos is ending ending here where he started, verse 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. We're the kind of people that are just out to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. You may have noticed that gas prices are increasing. (laughs) Yikes. And I was standing pumping the other day and I, I read the little sticker on the, on the gas scale, the, the pump, you know, and it said corrected to 15 degrees Celsius. And I realized it was minus 13 degrees Celsius. And I thought, am I getting ripped off here? I don't know how these things work. Now it's a little more important to me. You jack the price by 30 cents a liter and it matters a little more to me. Amos talks about people here. He says they can't wait to get back into their business world because they line their scales. They add a little so you don't quite get a full pound of flour. You get a few ounces less. says a pound on the scale, but that's not what you're actually getting. You do that enough over time and you line your pockets a little more too. Over time, the rich get richer as they're cheating the poor. And eventually, the poor have nothing left, so you buy them. You buy them for a new pair of shoes. I don't care if they're Air Jordans or just an old pair of, you know, Walmart special. No human being is worth a pair of shoes. Never God's intention for men to treat other men as property. And so all this injustice, Amos is just summarizing the injustices of the society. And he says, this is what's guaranteeing the day of judgment. How that day will come for Israel in the north is very, very certain. Here are the means. First, earthquake, verse 7. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I'll never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble, all of it rise like the Nile, tossed about, sink again like the Nile. Do you recall Israel's great, great sin? The one sin that Amos really pointed out. Do you remember what that was? It's back in chapter 6 and verse 8. He's, this, this remarkable statement where he says, Adonai, Yahweh, has sworn by himself, declares Yahweh. Remember that? And what comes next? I abhor the pride of Jacob. The pride of Jacob. God looks at that pride now, and he says, in verse 7, in front of you there, he says... Just as certain as you are proud, so certain is the judgment I will bring. The Lord is sworn by the pride of Jacob. Isn't that interesting? 
and the earthquake that Amos has been alluding to all through his ministry is described here in some vivid detail. The land is going to tremble. It's going to rise and fall and be tossed about just like the Nile. I was playing volleyball in the gym of Grace Community Church in 1989 when an earthquake hit. It was one of those earthquakes that Californians just sort of get used to. It's the rolling quake. It's kind of soft and gentle. But I had not been in many quakes. And so me, and along with most of the people on the volleyball team, ran for the doors. But my buddy Scott was out in the middle of the gym floor yelling at us saying, Ride the wave, brothers, ride the wave. (laughs) That's loopy. I've lived through several earthquakes. Some go up and down, some go back and forth, some are a wave. The earthquake that God is talking about here is not the kind you ride the wave with your pals. This is the violent shaking of the earth. Some waves are bigger and more violent than others. And this earthquake is the one that's coming to Israel. And as I mentioned before, we know from excavations modernly that in the latter, in later days that, that there's tons of evidence of that earthquake having come and having done widespread catastrophic damage to the area. But there's going to be even more signs and wonders with his judgment. There will also be an eclipse. Verse 9, on that day declares the Lord God, I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Yeah, that was interesting. I'll turn your feasts into mourning, all your songs into lamentation. There was two solar eclipses during Amos' lifetime. We're not sure which one this is referring to, but Amos tells us that Israel is going to experience darkness where it should be the high noon. It's going to match the darkness of their mourning and their lamentation. All is going to be dark, all is going to be awful, and all is going to be final. But there's even more to fear than an earthquake and an eclipse. There's evacuation. Verse 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. They'll wander from sea to sea, from north to east, They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. They shall not find it. I call this evacuation. I'm not not referring here to the evacuation of refugees like you see at the Ukraine-Poland border today, but what we're finding here is the evacuation of God's word from the land. God is withdrawing his word. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is one of the worst parts of God's judgment. He takes away his word. When a country, when a land, when a people group has God's word removed from it, it's like a great light has been extinguished. You go to those lands today and all you will find is spiritual backwardness and superstition. No wonder Satan hates the Bible. And if God permits Satan, Satan will be allowed to keep the Bible out of your hands, out of the hands of people. I'll just be honest. I am blown away that anybody tries to live the Christian life without reading their Bible almost every day. I'm not going to be legalistic about it because I can't be. I don't have a Bible verse to make you do that. But I just think these words are true. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know who said that and when he said it? 
That was Jesus while he was being tempted by Satan. How do you expect to live and thrive as a Christian if you are not eating God's word? Praise God, we live in a land where you can buy a Bible, own a Bible, read a Bible. You can go to stinking Starbucks and read a Bible and you don't need to worry about anything. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad you aren't living in Somalia where it's against the law to own a Bible? And we're going to let ours get dusty and forgotten feeling guilty. I don't really mind if you are because we should. We should. Brothers and sisters, members of Grace Fellowship Church, we're doing elder member visits. And numbers of us have not been faithful with the word. Don't let there be a famine of God's word in your own personal life. You've got a Bible to read. Read it. Read it and read it and read it. Because If the last two years have told us anything is that life can change quickly, and in your lifetime, you might find people burning Bibles in Young Dundas Square. I hope not. When it comes to Israel, point number two, the extent of God's judgment is comprehensive. There's going to be nowhere to hide. This is the fifth vision. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar where sacrifices are made, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. This is like pretty powerful stuff. The capital, you got a column like a pillar. The capital is the thing that's fastened on the top, often sort of square shaped. And you put a number of those pillars with their capitals on top and you put a beam across. That's how you have a roof of your temple or whatever it is. God says... Shake the capitals right up top there and let them fall on the people and kill them. That's what it says. Saying, when that earthquake comes, let those capitals shake and fall. And if somehow they manage to get out of that collapsing temple, I promise I'll meet them outside with a sword. And there's going to be nowhere to hide. Verse 2, if they dig into Sheol, from there my hand shall take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, I will command the serpent, it shall bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, there, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. If they dig, if they climb, if they hide, if they go, they will be found, they will be judged. Neither cave nor mountaintop nor death at sea nor captivity shall save anybody. They will be found, they will be judged. There is nowhere to hide from God. And there's no way to resist him either. There are three hymns. We call them hymns. They're like little sections of poetry in Amos's book. First one's in chapter 4, verse 13. The second one is in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And the third one is right here. Chapter 9, verse 5. I'm going to read them in order. I'm just going to take them out of their little context and just read them. Listen. Listen to what these hymns of praise are saying. This is 4.13. For behold... He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. 
in chapter 5, verse 8. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns the deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. And now our text, chapter 9, verse 5. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell in it mourn and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea, pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. The Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. Yahweh is his name. These are identity hymns of praise. They are identifying to Israel and to all of the world, the Lord is the only God. He's the real God. He is the creator God. He's not some pet deity for national Israel. He is God. And when God comes to judge, there's going to be nowhere to hide and no one to appeal to for help. He is the supreme authority. Even still, we might be tempted to think, but it's Israel. Don't they get a pass? Aren't they the chosen ones? To which God says, there is no divine nepotism. Verse 7. Are you not like the Cushites, the Egyptians? Cushite is another word for them. Are you not like the Egyptians to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? And I brought the Philistines up from the land of Kaftor and the Syrians from the land of Kir. God, this is amazing. God is saying, look, you're no different than the Cushites and the Philistines and the Syrians. These are the three biggest historical enemies of Israel. He says, you're no different from these enemies. In fact, I'll just let you know now, says the Lord, I was just as involved in getting that nation established where they are as I was in getting you established where you are. The difference with you is that I told you about it. I revealed myself to you. And so out of all those countries, you're the sinful kingdom. Verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord Yahweh are upon the sinful kingdom. Look at verse 8. The eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. No, you can, you can keep telling yourself day after day, the day of judgment is never going to come. I'm going to be fine. And keep on with your oppression of the poor, your harming of the marginalized. But the day is coming, and the day is coming soon, Israel. God is going to put you in the sieve, and he's going to shake. Kids, you ever been to the beach, had one of those like plastic things with lots of holes in it, and you shake it, and all this, the fine sand goes through, and the rocks stay on top? That was part of one way of harvesting the wheat. The wheat would drop down. The good stuff gets down into a blanket. You gather it up. And the pebbles and the rocks, it all stays on top. So you shake, 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 shake. All the good stuff's down there. And you know what you do with the pebbles? Throw them away. God says, Israel, you're a pebble to me. I'm going to shake you. 
I'm going to toss you. But if you read verse 8, you might be saying, hey, wait a second. Hold on there, Pastor Paul. You left something out. <laughs> Look at verse 8 again. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Except, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Beloved, God cannot help himself. Even in this pronouncement of final judgment comes a word of hope. And that takes us to the last point of this sermon and the last point of this entire book. Number three, the salvation of God's people is secure. In a shocking twist at the end of this prophet, Amos, the prophet of doom and gloom. I mean, he's the guy of coming judgment, cows of Bashan, pillars falling on top of people. That guy, that prophet, right at the end, gives this news. The true Israel will be established. Another thing is going to be happening on the day of judgment. Yes, it's a day of judgment where all God's enemies will be cast away, thrown away like pebbles cast to the side. But in that day, verse 11... I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares Yahweh who does this. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, Amos is not thinking about the northern kingdom that he's prophesying in while he says these words. He's not thinking that God's judgment wasn't really a final judgment. No, he knew it was a final judgment. He's thinking about something else. How do I know for sure? Because this is the second text from Amos that is quoted in your New Testament. Flip over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. What was the first big theological problem the church faced? Not practical problem, theological problem. The first big theological problem. You know what it was? Whether or not there was a difference between people who were ethnic Jews believing in Jesus and people who were not ethnic Jews believing in Jesus. And it was a big deal. A really big deal. And so the church called all their leaders together and they had a really big and actually quite loving and respectful discussion that ends with James, this is not James the Apostle, this is James the half-brother of Jesus, that guy, who's one of the pastors in the church in Jerusalem. And so at the end of the sort of discussion, James gets up, and this is what he says. This is Acts 15, beginning in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's another pet name for Peter, Peter's related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. What's Amos? You can say it. He's a prophet. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Here comes the quote from Amos. 
After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, this is James again, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Let's not add on all the customs and stuff that we needed to do. Why did Pastor James, out of his whole Old Testament, choose Amos? Why that prophet and why this text? Because he understood exactly what Amos was getting at. Amos, when he prophesied, was predicting a day when God would take a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation and call them to himself. It is a day when he would move beyond physical borders and national identities to a different kind of identity marker. It is a day when the booth or the tent, a booth is just a tent, that's why you see it in both. It's a day when the, when the tent of David is to be restored. When does that day come? It comes after the death, resurrection of the greater David, our Lord Jesus. It is a day when what defines a person is whether or not they are called by his name. Has God called you? It is always an individual call, a personal call. You kids have heard me say many, many times, you don't become a Christian just because mom and dad are Christians. It is always a personal call, and God is always calling. It doesn't matter what religion you grew up with or what traditions happen to go with your culture. God is calling, and God says the same thing all the time. Repent and believe in my son. Repent and believe in the gospel. There is no other possible way to be right with God. It is an exclusive gospel. God has provided one Savior, not many. And that Savior stands before you now and invites you to come and to believe on him and to trust him and to be saved from your sins. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage you bring him. He never says, clean up your life first. He invites you to come with all of your baggage and all of your mess and all of your problems. And he says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. There is never a good reason to stay back from God. There's never a good reason. There are no good reasons for you to not be saved today. People around you are praying for you right now, asking God to work, to open your eyes so that you could see Christ and believe on Jesus. So that when that trumpet sounds, it's music to your ears, not dread. Look at what's ahead for all who love the Lord. The true Israel will be blessed. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is such an interesting thing. The plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. 
Now, when almost your entire life is taken up with growing, harvesting, storing food, these kinds of promises to an agrarian culture, these are amazing. This is the guy who is is sowing the seed is, is running into the guy who's harvesting the last crop. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's like there's so much stuff coming, we, we just can't harvest fast enough. It's like you, you get this debit card from the bank, and they said, this is for you, special debit card. And you take it, and you use it, and then you look at your balance. It's like, my balance just went up. I don't understand. So then you buy something bigger, and you look at it, my balance went up again. And so you buy something bigger. My balance, this is awesome. It's like you just, it just, you can't possibly outspend it. You're just to enjoy all that the Lord keeps going. No, they don't have those debit cards, in case you're wondering. But th- that's kind of the image that he's giving here to to people that live in this world. They're like, what are you talking about plowmen overtaking reapers? That doesn't make any sense because what Amos is trying to get across here is that the the new creation is not some existence of idleness on a puffy cloud with cottage cheese. It is the active enjoyment of God's people. We're enjoying one another. We're enjoying God's provision. We're enjoying all the pleasures that he has stored up for his people. And most of all, we're enjoying God. Because the true Israel will be God's forever. Look at verse 14. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Never again uprooted. Look at what he says, verse 14. My people, Israel. Verse 15, the Lord your God. Friends, that's the language of covenant. That's the language of a God who says, you know what, I made a promise to Abraham, gonna keep it made a promise to David, going to keep it, made a promise to my son, and I'm going to keep it. It is God looking down upon the earth and saying, I will save my people for the sake of my name. The name that you dare not mention, you superstitious man, when you dig corpses out of the fallen city, the name that's profaned by fathers and sons whoring after the same temple prostitute, the name that has been erased by the false worship of idols and prosperity and peace and wealth, that name will be shouted from the mountaintops. That name will be sung over the seas. That name's gonna be written in the sky. The name of Yahweh, the creator of winds and darkness, the maker of constellations and oceans, the one who shakes the ground and floods the earth, the savior, the rescuer, the judge, the righteous one who came to earth and gave up his life for us. If this is our God and these are our prospects, why do we care if we lose a little money to help the poor? Why does it matter if doing what is right costs us a little bit of social capital? Why would we ever hesitate to visit orphans and widows in their distress? There is nothing lost by following God and everything gained by knowing him. So here, right now, what is the Lord asking of you. I don't know what he's asking you. I think you do. 
Are you going to make good on God's request? Are you going to take the path of truth, righteousness, justice? Or you just want the easy life? When is this thing going to be over so I can get back to work? Friends, there are times in a Christian's life when you are faced with a choice, a fork in the road, as they say. You either go the way of truth or you go the way of self. Has he put one of those in front of you today? Which way are you going to go? Choose God. Choose righteousness. Choose justice. And then listen carefully to these words of Jesus for you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your treasure in the right spot? If it is, the last trumpet, the last roar of the lion, it's going to sound a billion times better than the five o'clock whistle. Because it'll be the sound of invitation to enter into the joy of your master. Friends, you ain't going to get there and go, oh, this wasn't worth it. Why live that way then? Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your prophet that you raised up His message, I pray, has changed us all, shaped our thinking, helped us in our time of need. There's not a single bit of your word that is useless to us. So we thank you for all of it. Please continue to let your word do its work in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.